This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Hey friends, welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. Each episode, I sit down with a guest to discuss their life journey and how the grace of God has impacted them along the way. After listening to today's episode, I hope you are encouraged that God can use you right now in the midst of your day-to-day life. Yes, it requires daily surrender and trust, but we must remember His grace is enough. Welcome to episode 20 of the Grace Enough podcast. Can I ask you a favor? If you enjoy the show, will you take a moment this week and share your favorite episode with a friend or family member through email, text message, or social media? If you share it on social media, please tag me at graceenoughpodcast underscore Amber. My heart's desire is for more people to hear the stories my guests share so that they can be encouraged that God can truly use you to impact his kingdom no matter your story. The best possible way for that to happen is for you, my lovely listeners, to share it with your friends. This week's episode is with a life coach that has not only coached me through her Promised Land Living class, but has become a friend and source of godly wisdom. I chat with Cheryl Scanlon today about cooperating versus contending with God, the richness of God's Word, what it means to live freely, and at the end, the letter she shares to her future great-grandchildren had us both in tears. Listen to what Cheryl says about the creation of Promised Land Living. I was in a place of such freedom now. Oh my goodness, I really understood who Jesus was. I understood his true love for me, and I understood the true nature of of sin, and I understood that I was free from all of that now. For the first time, everything came together, but very quickly it was falling apart again. I started focusing on my performance. I started focusing on earning love again. I'm like, what happened? And I realized this wasn't just my problem. I think this is the plight of every believer I know. It's this way of living was not the way of life in Jesus. And I realized that it was actually counter to the freedom God spoke about in the scriptures. And I went on a quest to not only understand this way of life that God intended for me in the promised land, but to actually live it. And that's what gave birth to promised land living. I'm just so very excited for you to hear my conversation with Cheryl because her ministry has had a significant impact on my life. Good morning, Cheryl. Thank you for being here today. I'm excited to chat with you. Good morning, Amber. Thank you for this opportunity. You are just a delight. Oh, thank you. Will you take a moment before we get going and introduce us to you, your family, and tell us a little bit about Promised Land Living? Sure. So my name is Cheryl Scanlon, and I've been married to my husband, Tom, of 34 years. And we have two, what I used to say, boys, but they're grown men. And uh, I think by the time this video actually gets posted, or this uh, audio gets posted, they'll all both be married. David's about to get married in July. And uh, Michael and Cassie, as we're recording this, are looking for a place to live in North Carolina. Oh, yay! Uh, Yes, just got a a job with a a North Carolina farm, and Michael will be finishing school and then coming down to be there. So obviously my family is like the center of my life, and I actually left a a corporate job in New York uh, when I was pregnant with my first one because 
my husband and I felt like nobody could love them the way I could. So Mm -hmm. we cut our income by two thirds so that I could be home with the boys. And now they're men. So it's just so straight, Amber. It's so fast. Oh, in a blink of an eye, right? Is yeah. Well, before you talk about PLL, I'm going to say this because I haven't told you about it, but we were sitting at church on the playground last week waiting for Zoe to finish gymnastics and Bennett was just messing around, which Bennett is my oldest, and he looks down and he's reading the plaque on the picnic table in the play area and it says David Scanlon I think it was Eagle Scout. It was maybe his Eagle Scout project. And I said, yes. oh, Bennett, this is such a great story. So you hear me talk about Cheryl. She's my friend. And now her son has grown. And so we kind of got to talk a little bit about how, you know, he impacted our church through his service project. So that was really neat. It's amazing how you, the giving keeps on giving. You it know, does. we cannot outgive God. Amen. We do in every area of our life. So tell us a little bit about what you do. Okay, so I am uh, now a coach, and I coach business leaders and executives, and I use that funding from C3 Advantage to subsidize the work that we do in Promised Land Living. And we recently just became a nonprofit for Promised Land Living because we're wanting it to expand. We're wanting to create cities of refuge, which we may or may not get into, all across the country. You know, times are getting darker. People are experiencing hope and despair. And the gospel is such a message of hope. And so if we could establish these places where people can trust the message of hope that they're hearing and know that it's a hope that will endure Mm -hmm. and is trustworthy, we'll be ready for whatever comes. That's awesome. Well, take us back to when you came to know Jesus and tell us a little bit about your faith journey, how it began and how that kind of led into the start of Promised Land Living. Thank you, Amber. So I grew up in a more of a traditional faith, a traditional religion, and recognized that there was something missing in my life, but I didn't know what it was. So I grew up in some ways with Jesus my entire life, but I grew up with Jesus on a cross. Mm. And I grew up with a, a very profound sense of my sinful nature, but not really a path or a way forward through that. So I felt like I was locked in this place of continuous guilt. And when Tom and I moved to Florida, we started going to a little church called Boca Raton Community Church. And we got in a Bible study with Dan and Chris Colucci, who are still dear friends of ours. And Chris explained to me that God has a hell, that there's a hell and that people go to hell. And I got really indignant because as a second grader, I prayed to receive Jesus Christ because somebody finally came and told me that I was loved. And so even though I was living in this guilty condemnation world, I had this childlike sense that somehow God loved me. And so it was a real, there was a big chasm between those two things. And when Chris said that people who do not believe in Jesus go to hell, I very quickly reared up and said, not my God. No way. That's not how my God works. Because remember, I'm fighting against this guilt that's inside of me, even though something told me somehow God loved me. I didn't, I couldn't put it all together. So she said, well, have you ever read this book by Chuck Colson, Loving Guy? I said, no, the only book I ever read is the Bible, which wasn't true, but I was just in my (laughs) indignant little space. And so I started reading the book. Well, while I was reading the book, I had this terrible dream. And the dream was, I'm in Germany. I'm protecting, I'm hiding Jewish children from the Gestapo. And I'm feeling so proud of myself that I'm doing this because I loved children. I grew up in 
a somewhat abusive home. And I, I just don't want to see children ever hurt. And there's a knock on my door. And as I open the door, it's the Gestapo. And they look at me. And since I'm in this tiny little bungalow home, there's no place for these Jewish children to hide except underneath this little hutch that's right by the front door. And the Gestapo looks at me and then looks over my shoulder. And I can see that they're looking right at the kids. And he asked me the question. He says, are you hiding Jewish children in your home? And I'm silent. And I wake up. And I wake up. And it's the only time in my life I woke up in a cold sweat. And for weeks, Amber, I would take walks with the Lord. I'm like, why? Why didn't I say anything? And it was like, well, because I was so stunned or because I woke up too soon or all these things. I couldn't figure out what the why was. And then a few weeks later, I got to that part in Chuck Colson's book, Loving God. And this is what he does. Jesus died. You have the repentant man on the right and unrepentant man on the left or vice versa. And the soldiers are about to come with their big sledgehammers and break their knees because when they did that, they couldn't breathe anymore. And the repentant man says, how could they be doing this? How could they talk about breaking my knees like what they're going to have for dinner? And then he says, well, how could they not? For if I were them and they were me, I would be doing the same thing. And what I came to understand at that moment, Amber, I now understood why I didn't say anything about those kids. Because when it came to saving my life or their life, I would try to save my own, mm. even caught red-handed. And God showed me at that moment why there's a hell. He doesn't want anyone to go to hell. But he showed me in that moment the depth of my sin nature, never mind my sinful tendencies, my sin nature, and that that's what Jesus died for. And it changed everything for me. The first phone call I made was to call my mom who I'd had a rough relationship with. I said, Mom, I forgive you for everything because Jesus has forgiven me for everything. And you know what she did? <laughs> she said, you're crazy, Cheryl. And she hung up the phone. <laughs> but that was the beginning of an incredible change in our relationship. And of course, eventually she came to know Jesus as well. But PLL, PLL was born out of the recognition. So here I, I was in a place of such freedom now. Oh my goodness, I really understood who Jesus was. I understood his true love for me, and I understood the true nature of, under, of sin, and I understood that I was free from all of that now. For the first time, everything came together, but very quickly it was falling apart again. Mm. I started focusing on my performance. I started focusing on earning love again. I'm like, what happened? And I realized this wasn't just my problem. I think this is the plight of every believer I know. Mm -hmm. it, this way of living was not the way of life in Jesus. And I realized that it was actually counter to the freedom God spoke about in the scriptures. And I went on a quest to not only understand this way of life that God intended for me in the promised land, but to actually live it. And that's what gave birth to promised land living. And then how many years ago was that? 15 years ago. I couldn't remember that part of the story. Well, I know that you have a desire for people to really, truly live out the way God intended them to live. And so a huge part of the process of promised land living is this seven step shift. I would love for you to just take a minute to really describe to our listeners what kind of is that step, seven step shift and why is it really crucial to helping us live the way that God has intended us to live? Sure, Amber. And by the way, I'm hoping over the next year, year and a half to actually write a book around this. I so the book so. is now outlined. Yeah. But let me try to explain it real simply. The seven-step shift is a tool we introduce at the very beginning of the journey. It's a method of repentance. You know, the modern-day church 
we don't do a lot of active contrition type work. Yeah. We don't, matter of fact, we, we think of repentance as potentially we're hiding or it's something that's bad. But repentance is a glorious thing. Mm. It as actually reflects what God wants for us more than anything is to repent and turn back to Him. And so this is what we're doing through the seven-step shift. We are practicing, we are training in righteousness by making a 180-degree turn away from a behavior, away from a thought, anything that is out of alignment with God, with what God says to be true and life-giving. And by the time you get to the seventh step, as you practice it, you're back on track with God. You're back in alignment with God. And this can literally happen in nanoseconds. So it's a methodology that helps us very quickly pull out of the mindsets that leave us wandering and aimless, sort of like those Israelites in the desert wandering and aimless, and shift us back to living God's righteous purposes for our lives. Mm. The mechanics are really simple and are born out of Romans 12, 1 and 2 and John 8, 31 and 32. So let me explain this just briefly. Romans talks about how we're to offer our living, our bodies as living sacrifices, mm -hmm. holy and pleasing, right? Um, and this is our proper form of worship. Mm -hmm. And right after he says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So there's this combination he's putting with the mind and the body. And in doing so, we're able to test and approve what God's will is. And think about how this aligns with John 8, 31 and 32. We all know that part of the verse that says, if you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. But it starts with, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. So there that is, continuing the truth, the body walking it out, and then the mind knowing the truth. So we see God is saying to transform our minds. How? Mm -hmm. Through taking the thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ and immediately. And if we continue in his word, which begins the transformation in our mind, we're truly free. The seven step shift is simply a tool that combines both. It accomplishes both. It transforms the mind so that the body is now walking in the truth, offered up as a living sacrifice, meaning we sacrifice sinful desires for the righteous living and pattern of Christ in our life. One small sanctifying step at a time. Mm -hmm. And it protects us. It's a training tool that protects us from letting runaway thought turn into runaway trains that lead to train wrecks in our lives. And one of the biggest things that we're struggling with in this modern day, I was just speaking down at Campbell University for one of their little groups there, and I heard from every single one of the students, anxiety, nervousness, right? So how many of us have added one day or changed one circumstance through these anxious thoughts? Yeah. And what decisions are we making when we're anxious? Who are, or what are we trying to control when we're anxious? Yeah. And this downward spiral from anxiety is fast and furious and extremely destructive. The train careens off the cliff, unnecessarily so. And the seven-step shift grabs hold of us and slows down the train, getting us back on track. Well, and I love hearing you say that because even listening to you now and being someone who is on this promised land living journey, it does force me to slow down, give the lies in my head a name, and there's so much power in giving them a name and calling them out. And once you call them out, you put them into the light and putting them into the light, you know, says, okay, Lord, now what am I to do with those? And yeah. it's just easier to turn from them, but you have to identify them. And so even listening to you right now, I'm reminded it's been kind of a rough week. I need to just take a moment, slow myself down, remind myself of the lies I'm believing replace them with the truth, and then walk in that. 
So it it is so true. It's a runaway train and the train just gains more speed the longer you let it go. And in the beginning of John, you are absolutely describing that process because Jesus is the word of life and that life was the light to men. And that's what you're describing. You're going back to the word of life, right? Yeah. It provides you counsel. It shines light into that darkness and it brings you life. Yeah. You just described the process right there so beautifully. So I I just mentioned that I am, I've been on the promised land living journey. We just finished our goodness, 15 weeks. Is it 15 weeks? 13 weeks. 13 weeks. And then we have our couple of breaks built in. But something that we've talked about that profoundly impacted me was the idea early on of contending with God versus cooperating with God. And I had never heard that before. But when you walked us through that truth, I was truly changed. And so will you take a moment and share with our listeners how we contend with God, which is what you refer to as desert living versus cooperating with God, which is this, you know, promised land free living. Yes, I was so delighted that you wanted to talk about this because this right here, what you're talking about was the origination point for the development of the curriculum. This whole model is rooted in the book of Galatians and culminates in that passage in Galatians 3.3. Are you so foolish, Amber? Are you so foolish, Cheryl, that after beginning by the means of the spirit, are you now trying to finish by the means of the flesh? Mm. Isn't that crazy? And so the shift process is a pruning process. It's shifting us from contending with God, as you say, to cooperating with him. What does this mean? Well, we contend with God anytime we say that what he did on the cross was not enough. And I have to add to Jesus' death and resurrection to buy my way into heaven. Mm -hmm. What were Jesus' last words on the cross? It is finished. Finished. Let's just think about that word finished for a moment. What was finished? It was the payment for sins. I can't pay anymore. I can't pay anymore through my good works. I can't pay anymore to try to earn my way. He paid it all. So when I start to doubt and I try to earn my way to heaven through my modern day circumcisions, which is what Paul was really getting on Peter's case in Galatia, you know, the book of Galatia about, I'm on shaky ground. And this is what we call the contending model. And when I'm contending, I'm no longer a fruit bearer. Mm -hmm. All I am doing is exuding anxiety, frustration, restlessness, irritation, short-temperedness, all the things that are in opposition or the exact opposite of the reflection of the fruit of the Spirit, which where do we get the fruit of the Spirit from? Galatians. The cooperating side of the model is so beautiful. And this is what Paul is writing about in Galatians and also the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3, 4 through 6. It's the model of rest. So the cooperating side of the model is a restful model. It's the model that begs us to abide in Christ. And as we abide in Christ, we begin to follow these prompts of the Holy Spirit, which in and of itself bear fruit. We don't bear fruit by our good works. Mm -hmm. We bear fruit by abiding. And as that fruit is born, out of that fruit comes the good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. These are simply a response to the love of Christ working in us rather than a reaction to trying to earn his love. And in PLL, and you know this, Amber, we aggressively work on and learn how to shift from contending with God to cooperating with him. That was definitely a huge portion of 
the whole entire experience with PLL was me really learning and still having to learn because it is a process. But um, that truth just resonated with me because I'd never really thought of it in those terms. And so another aspect of Promised Land Living that had a great impact on me was this 100% responsibility. We are responsible for our own responses. And so for people who have experienced, you know, overwhelming hurts in their life, that can be a really hard pill to swallow because it's very natural to blame for any of us. But if you've experienced some really hard things, it's hard to put it into the right place of what's taking responsibility for what is ours, what's taking responsibility, letting the other person bear the responsibility for what they've done, forgiving them and moving on. And so share with us what it means by we are responsible for our own responses and how owning them brings freedom. Yeah, I was a little more prayerful as I thought about this question because of what you said. Um, And I had several responses written out and I would delete them and then I would redraft those because I was thinking about the potential audience and Mm -hmm. and scripture says, a bruised reed, he will not break. And the last thing, it's going to make me cry. Mm -hmm. The last thing I wanted to do is to break a bruised reed. So I want your listeners to hear my heart in this as I talk about this. And I want them to understand, I grew up with abuse. Yeah. I was plagued with suicidal thoughts most of my young life. Yeah. So I understand the pain you're experiencing. I mean, I ran away from home trying to get to Chicago to be with my grandma because I knew I would be safe there. And I made it three miles from my home and hid all day in the Ranhurst Shopping Center because I just wanted to be safe. Yeah. So... I have my story, just like we all do. And when you're willing to think about this responsibility piece that Amber's putting up here, I want you to know the hope that can come from this. Because what I learned is God's, when I allow this to happen, and it's scary to allow that to happen, right? Because when you've been hurt, how do you dare allow yourself to be vulnerable again? Right. But I want to challenge them. When you allow God's story to overpower your story, incredible things happen. God taught me through his word, through prayer and community, how to begin taking responsibility for two things. I'm not talking about taking responsibility for other people's actions and other people's junk, right? Yes. I'm simply talking about my thought life and my behaviors. It's that simple. Just those two things, my thought life and my behavior. And I'm going to tell on myself, And my husband will be so happy I'm telling on myself because when Tom and I were first married, I was, I was, I love my husband, but he could do no right. He grew up in a a home and and if his sister is listening to this, she would be nodding her head ferociously. He was the fair haired boy. He could do no wrong. So think about it. I grew up in a home where I could do no right. So that was the pattern I, I grew up with. Well, I transferred that pattern in my communication to my husband, who was a fair-haired boy who could never do anything wrong. Can you imagine what that did to our marriage and to the poor guy's psyche? And I had no idea. It was a little explosive. I mean, I literally threw an ironing board at my husband. And the only reason I threw an ironing board at my husband is because I was still sane enough to realize I couldn't throw the piano at him, which is what I really wanted to throw at him. So we had some dynamics in the early part of our marriage. And I was getting better because it went from an ironing board to a wine glass and the last thing I ever threw at him was a legal pad. Because what I explained to him is, 
I never want to hurt you with my words. If I want to hurt you, you're going to know it because I'm going to throw something at you. Because I knew how much words could hurt because that's what I was abused with was words. My mama never laid a hand on me. But man, she beat me every day, you know? So the Lord started showing me through his word and through prayer and through community that I was beating my husband. Now, I could sit there and say, well, certainly understandable. Look what you grew up with. Or your husband can't figure it out. He's not cherishing you. He's not treating you the way you should be treated. No, 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 no. I'm not taking responsibility at that point. I'm blame shifting. Yeah. And so I made a commitment. I am going to take responsibility for the way I treat my husband. What does God tell me to do? To respect him. So I went on a quest to learn what it meant to respect my husband. I took responsibility for this. And when I would get in my little hissy place and I actually had friends say, this is how bad I was, Amber. What did Tom do wrong this time? This is how bad I was. And, and I would say to them, okay, you can't ask me that question anymore. Amber's trying not to laugh. I see her on video. She's covering her mouth. That you can't ask me that question because that's tempting me to not take responsibility for myself. And so they were really impressed with the fact and they encouraged me, okay, you do this girl. So we're going to tend to swing from either 100% responsibility in a nutshell after the example and all this is we're going to tend to swing from trying to save people, have a savior complex or having a desire to be rescued by someone, which is this victim mindset. So there's a swing, but this is really dangerous. And the reason is because there's only one savior and he's the only one that can rescue us. So as soon as we try to bring these into our modern day adult relationships, something breaks down and we lose power and the gospel empowers us to live a different way. And this is when you really begin to blossom. So going back to that thought of vulnerability, even though it feels like we're being so vulnerable by letting God's story overpower our story and we're so afraid we're going to be hurt. The reality is when we allow God's story to overpower our story, we become empowered with his authority. And we're actually in a better place, a safer place, a more secure place, a foundation that doesn't shift because it's not dependent on the person who's in front of us, right. who's raising voice or raising a hand to us. Yeah. And I want to say this for someone who might be listening to this, part of 100% responsibility, if you are in a truly abusive situation, you need to create space between the person around you. That's taking responsibility. Right. Get out. Find a place where you can think clearly and figure out who you are and get galvanized in your identity in Christ so that you can move back into that relationship in a stronger place, a healthier place. And when one person changes in the relationship, the relationship will change. So if you start with yourself, things are going to change. Yeah, and I love that you've pointed that out, that taking responsibility for our own responses does not mean that you begin to bear fault over something that was not your fault, whether that's physical abuse, emotional abuse, verbal abuse, whatever that is, that is not what we are saying. And I know that's not what you're saying, but 100% responsibility is more like, what are we as an individual person, what is the voice we're allowing the enemy to have and our own flesh to have that is not true? Yes. And you've got to yes. own that because I know I can go in pure attack mode on my mother because of some of the similar things that you have already shared. 
And I have to own my responses to her and realize that I am faulty in that it's not always her fault. Yes. Oh, Amber, what you say is so true. And I think that was part of the reason why the Lord prompted me to call my mom before I called anyone else or talked to anyone else, right? And when she hung up the phone, you would think, well, that's terrible. And I think, no, that's not terrible because my mom needs to be able to have her response. And, and that was the beginning of me actually letting her be free to be where she was at. Yeah. Because I was so free in myself. Yeah. And that's how healing started to happen in our relationship. Now, it doesn't always work out that way. Amber, you know the story yes. with my mother-in-law, you know, and how she she could not come to know me as me. And, and I loved her as best as I could, even sending her crosser puzzles when I was racked in pain because of Lyme disease. And I felt like that was my little labor of love for her. But am I okay with that? I'm sad. Yeah, but I'm okay. Right. Yeah, because you can't own her response. No, which makes it so much easier to love freely and lavishly, which is what you do in your podcast. Oh, thank you. You are loving people through your podcast. You can't control how people are going to respond to this. You're just trying to give them the gift of stories of life and hope. Yeah, yeah. Well, tell us, how does one get involved in Promised Land Living? Well, this is exciting and also a little scary because, like I said, we just became a nonprofit, right? Yeah. And I have no idea what I'm doing. I really don't. But we're going to be going through a major website overhaul this summer. But you can just go to promisedlandliving.com, promised land living, so that's a D because it's already been promised to us. It's already happened. And you'll see classes up, up there. You can sign up for more information. We have a concierge team who will be happy to assist you and answer any questions and helping you prepare for your journey. If you're not ready for that, and that just seems too scary, plenty of free resources on that website as well. Join us at any place you are on the journey. We've had people who who watched us and thought about this for five years before they actually join a group. And then we have others that hear about it and like, yes, I'm ready. We have three classes coming up in the fall. There'll be more coming after that. Please join us. Yeah. And I mean, to share a little bit just about my experience, I had heard about it for about a year, I think maybe two, and then signed up for Promised Land Living. And we can talk a little bit just so that people know, you know, what's involved in that. It's like, we do video, I don't know, would you call them meetings? I don't want to call it a conference. That's not what it is, because it's a group of 12, usually, right? Yeah, it's it, we maximize the groups at eight, but we have more because we have people who are always training. Okay. Yeah, because we're expanding this. So you have eight members in the group. We call them participants. And you have a coach presenter. And it's a video conference. So it happens in the comfort of your own home. And people think, ooh, that seems so cold or it's going to be too hard. It's one click. You're yeah, in the it's room. Not and it, it's not hard. And it does become very, very intimate. We just had our celebration from Amber's group and the tears of rejoicing and the way we shared and celebrated with one another that sometimes they can't even hear from their own family because they don't allow themselves to be known this way. Right. And it's just so powerful. Your hearts are knitted forever. Yeah, it, it really is. And so I'll make sure that I put in the show notes to that process and a little bit of my own testimony maybe with it and a link so that people can get connected with you and, and the rest of the team if it's something they'd like to explore or move forward on. But we typically end the show with some questions. And so the first one being, you know that we always have to cling to God's grace, but we have specific times in our life that we cling all the more tightly. And so can you share with us a time when 
I mean, one moment at a time, clinging to God's grace is all that you could really do. Oh my goodness, Amber, I feel like I, I'm i in that space every time I speak to someone or in a relationship, because here's the thing, I'm only one word away from trampling the heart. And the last thing I ever want to do is hurt another soul, because I know what that feels like when those nails go into your heart, right? Mm-hmm. And I trample people's souls. I don't mean to, but I do because I'm not sensitized enough or they're in a tough place and and things are going on for them. I just went through a situation with my beautiful, beautiful daughter-in-law where we missed one another and we were both temporarily crushed by that. But beautiful things came out of it because of Jesus. So I rely heavily on his grace. I think in all these moments where I get to be in relationship with someone, even with you and even with your podcast listeners right now, because these are opportunities. I don't want anything to be transactional. I want everything to be transformational. And when you get into transformational work, that's scary work, but I'm human and I'm imperfect and I don't always think clearly and people are impacted negatively by that at times. And oh, do I have to cling to him during those times? Well, because I know that you and I are fairly similar in a lot of of ways, I can relate to that. And I also know that this next question of where or when are there times, areas of your life where you feel like you need to pour out that grace that God has lavished on you to others? Yeah. So at this point in my life, I spend a lot of time at the foot of the cross. I am now on a quest. I read the Bible in two and a half months. I'm now on a quest to read the Bible twice a year for the rest of my life. I don't know if I'll be able to. I'm not making a vow. I've learned how serious those vows are. Yeah. But that right? But that is my desire. And what I'm finding happening as I do this is my grace quotient is truly beginning to overflow. So things are changing for me. And my ability to be one of the chapters that we have in the book, it's one of the very last chapters is living the unoffendable life and getting to a place in my life where the only thing that is offensive in me is the gospel itself. Mm. And the only thing that can be offended is the gospel itself. In other words, I'm not offendable anymore because as I get to that place where I'm unoffendable because of his grace pouring out so freely in me, then it doesn't matter the situation. It doesn't matter the person. It doesn't matter the opportunity or the circumstance. None of that matters anymore. Christ will be very present and active in that. Wow. So lastly, if you had the opportunity to sit down with your great grandkids and offer them some wisdom, what's something you'd like to share with them? You're so sweet, Cheryl. I had to, uh, I had to write down exactly what I wanted to say. It's a powerful question you ask. Just take your time. God's word will provide healing for literally anything that ails your soul. Mm -hmm. If you would be willing to read, study, and know God, you don't have to be afraid of his word. Even should you not understand, over time, insight and wisdom will come. And my child, I want you to know the process cannot be rushed. It cannot be rushed, nor the desired outcomes demanded. Some famous modern-day preachers and pastors are beginning to back away from the Old Testament and the full counsel of God. This scares me, and it's so dangerous. For how can we know the grace that Amber was just talking about without understanding the depth of our sin and the magnitude of His holiness 
and the faithfulness of his love. From the beginning of Genesis through to Revelation, those scriptures speak of life himself, Jesus. And over time, they will speak to your soul. Amen. They will help you see whatever is happening in your life in the context of the bigger historical narrative. Your story becomes part of history. So many of the things that we see, cruelty, betrayal, violence for violence sake, they're in there. What we're experiencing is not new, but you will also see how God continues to be faithful. He continues to pursue. He continues to love. He continues to provide a way forward through the heaps of rubble all around you. And he continues to provide a hope that is sure and steadfast through it all. My child, my precious grandchild, you may have to go on many seeking quests for some type of religion or God that suits your temperament, your culture, your belief system, and frankly, your fancy and whim. But in all of your efforts, you will only find one seeking after you. And this is the one true living God who, unlike every other religion, known and available to man is the only one that died for you and the only one that now lives to intercede for you. I pray you come to find him who has already known you and that you will learn how to live unto him. He loves you with an everlasting love and will never stop loving you, but he will not force his hand with you. It's your decision. My faith cannot be your faith, but I want you to know that I prayed for you even before you were born that you would know the one who knew you even before you were an idea in your parents' heart. You are already on God's heart. No matter the dark shadows that lurk, lurk around you or the death you feel in you, Jesus is life, and he brings his light to you. Light always begets life. Light scares the shadows away. Life overcomes death because of his life. He can overcome any darkness you are experiencing and bring you life. I promise you that because God promises you that. Well, I think that ministered to all of us. I thank you so much, Cheryl, just for your voice in my life, for the voice that I know that you are in so many people's lives. I know you are truly a woman who is surrendered to God and knows that that is a process and are willing to put in the work and let him live through you. And so thank you so much for being here today. Oh, Amber, you are a delight in the Lord to me. And there's more to come in your life, and you will minister to many. And I am so thankful to be able to partner with you in this tiny little way in the work that he's doing through you for the kingdom. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you are interested in beginning your promised land living journey, go to graceenoughpodcast.com, click show notes, and the information can be found under episode 20, Cheryl Scanlon, or visit promisedlandliving.com. Again, I'm truly grateful you took the time to listen today. I enjoy connecting with listeners, so hop on Instagram or Facebook and leave me a message at graceenoughpodcast underscore Amber. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.